listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. To John chapter 16, we'll begin around verse 19. So if you're finding your way there, whether in your Bible or on your device, this morning I want to talk about one word, the word joy. And it's a word we're probably all familiar with. Many thoughts and words have been attached to the word joy. Found a few this week. Mark Twain, the author, said, Grief can take care of itself, but get the full value of joy, you must have somebody to divide it with. Teddy Roosevelt. Writing about joy said the joy in life is his who has a heart to demand it. (laughs) The performer Madonna. If your joy is derived from what society thinks of you, you're always going to be disappointed. Mother Teresa said a joyful heart is the normal result of a heart burning with love. You see, joy is something we all seek. We strive to surround ourselves with with people and with things that bring us joy. And on Easter morning, some wake up and there's excitement, there's joy to scour the home looking for that hidden Easter basket. There's joy in parents watching their kids when they look in and they find things there that they enjoy, whether it's candy or books or whatever it might be, and there's excitement And joy is experienced. Joy can even be experienced with a little plastic egg. You take these and you scatter them all throughout your yard. And there's joy in these hunters as they go looking for these eggs. That they might crack it open and find a a few pieces of candy or, or perhaps a few coins. And there's joy in this hunt. And we will work and we will sacrifice to have joy. You can simply have joy of meeting your friends to play at the park or to ride bikes. There is joy in going to the movies and hanging out with your friends at the mall. There's joy in enjoying the outdoors, camping and hiking and hunting and fishing. There's joy in finding someone to love and to love you in return. There's joy in obtaining an education and then working hard to get that job you have sought after. And there's joy in building a savings and having financial security. There's joy in planning trips for your family and friends to enjoy. There's joy in crafting meals and watching people enjoy it. There's joy in having children. There's a joy in opening up your home and your heart to children through adoption and foster care. There's joy in watching your parents become grandparents and enjoy your children. There's joy in gathering for the holidays. So like children running throughout the yard looking for those little plastic eggs, we're all on a hunt. We all hunt. Our thirsty souls will rummage through every nook and cranny of this world in search for that word joy. But there's a problem. There's a danger to every joy you will ever experience. 
the joy of meeting friends and riding bikes or playing at the playground can be taken away by a thunderstorm. The joy of going to the movies and hanging out with your friends can be taken away by a simple change of plans. The joy of finding someone to love you and love you in return can be taken away by divorce or a broken heart. The joy in obtaining an education and and getting that job you have wanted for so long can be taken away by a layoff. The joy of building a savings and having financial security can be taken away by a downturn in the economy. The joy of having children can be taken away by infertility. The joy of watching your children grow up can be taken away by a phone call that just simply says the results are in and they're not good. The joy of watching your teenagers grow up and become independent adults can be taken away by a car accident. The joy of watching your parents enjoy their grandchildren can be taken away by cancer or even mental illness. But, but there is only one joy that is never in danger. There is only one joy. There, there, is in a, there is not a circumstance or there is not anyone that can take it away. And there is a joy that surpasses all other joys. And if we miss the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can miss the greatest joy in the universe. You know, even though Jesus, his closest friends, Jesus knew they would experience this feeling of joy and then have it taken away. Jesus knew they would experience this and he was so gracious to them that he prepared them for it. So in John chapter 16, you know, thinking back all throughout Holy Week, Jesus had been foreshadowing his death for his disciples who were going to struggle to make sense of having all of this joy taken away. And he goes right at their concerns directly. Look at John 16, beginning in verse 19. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying? A little while you will not see me. And again, a little while... And you will see me. Truly I say to you, you will weep and you will lament. He knew they were going to experience a loss of joy. But the world's going to rejoice. And he says, you will be sorrowful. But, I think one of the most glorious words in all of the Bible, but, your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth... She has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. You also have sorrow now. And he acknowledges this. He knows this. But there it is again. But but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I mean, Jesus, the Son of God, says there is a joy that no one or no circumstance can take away. 
And Jesus wanted his closest friends to anticipate this on Easter morning. True joy, an indescribable joy. And so here's what all of this means. That Jesus, he spoke of a joy as he faced torture on Friday. He faced denial. He faced betrayal. He faced beatings. He faced splinters and nails and spears. And he could not stop talking about joy. Only joy could keep him going. Joy was on his mind. It was on his tongue. Joy was drawing him not away from suffering, but into it. All month long, our children have been memorizing a verse that reminds us of this from Hebrews 12. He says, looking to Jesus, the founder or the perfecter or the champion of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Meaning Jesus went to the cross for joy, to buy joy, to create it, so that he could offer it. And so as the world celebrated the savage killing of God, Out of this sea of of hostility emerged a blood-bought, inextinguishable joy. So church, hear me this morning that if, if the killing of the author of life could not extinguish the joy Jesus speaks about, then nothing can and nothing ever will. As we've seen over this last week, The unstoppable joy of Easter comes at the greatest tragedy and evil the world has unleashed. The murder of the Son of God. The death, the devil, demons, and a a coordinated rebellion of all mankind come together. And they could not hinder or take away this joy. No power, no circumstance, no enemy can take away this resurrection joy of Jesus Christ that burst out of that tomb with Him. You see, worldly joys, worldly joys are brittle in comparison to what Jesus experienced and what He wants us to experience. That sickness and and poverty, they crumble those joys. The long process of aging and dying, it, it can slowly strip away all the worldly pleasures that we are after. Death swallows up all of our joys except one. Only one joy cannot be taken away by death because only one joy was purchased with blood. The resurrection joy of Jesus, it escapes the clutches of death because it is a joy, it tells us that it's a new creation. A joy that broke free from all the evils that this world experiences. And that's what makes Easter so breathtaking. Jonathan Edwards once said about this morning, the resurrection of Christ is the most joyful event that ever came to pass. And several hundred years later, Charles Spurgeon said, no one shall ever take from me the joy that Jesus rose from the dead. He goes on to say, you know what, you could take my family, you could take my health, you could take my mind, but nothing can take away the joy that Jesus rose from the dead. So the resurrection is the most joy-filled divine moment in history that it says it is worth our eternal awe and devotion. 
In fact, his death is the birth pains of a new creation. The resurrection was the arrival of something new into history. In the resurrection, Jesus sets into motion an unstoppable chain reaction that will one day culminate in the resurrection of all the dead, the renewing of all creation. So thinking about the resurrection, I I want us to walk away with, with three thoughts that would encompass our minds. The first one is that there never has been and there never will be a greater expression of joy on this earth. When you think about all the things that you have enjoyed in your life, there is nothing that will ever come close of an expression of joy of this. Man, you think about kids experiencing Christmas morning. You think about kids waking up to a surprise. You think about different things. As adults, they wake up knowing that, man, tomorrow I get to sleep in or or tomorrow I'm off or whatever it is. There is not a joy that comes close to this expression. In fact, John 15, 11 says, These things I have spoken to you, I've told you about them, that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. And the the experience of this joy was born on Easter morning. See, the resurrection of Jesus brings the most spectacular, joy-filled event. Because it ignites something that can never be taken away. But here's what I hope we realize. That earth-shattering moment that... Everything changed over 2,000 years ago. The joy (coughs) that they must have finally experienced of looking in and he wasn't there. Of knowing that there had to be a moment when they had to think where everything that they ever heard from him finally made sense. When he walked into a room and there they sat with him. That it all came together because of that one moment. But 2,000 years ago, that joy that filled that moment, it comes very personal to us today. Jesus taught his disciples. He says back in that John chapter 16 to seek it, to ask for it. That we are to do the same today. The invitation is exactly the same because Easter should reshape everything about you. Looking back at that passage of John 16, he says, But I will see you again in verse 22. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. See, Jesus' resurrection gives us a confidence and assurance in that exact promise that we can fix our hearts and minds on that promise, and we can also begin practicing it now. We've been walking through the book of First Peter. We'll jump back into chapter 4 next week, but... At the very onset of that series, we read this verse in verse 8. And though you have not seen him, you loved him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And we are promised a joy that is inexpressible and it is filled with glory. So in Christ, God delights to pour out this resurrection joy into your life. A joy that fills and a joy that cannot be stolen from you. 
So what do we do? He tells us to ask for more of it. And I don't know about you, but I find myself at times struggling with different things. I can find myself struggling with self-esteem. I can find myself struggling with depression. I can find myself struggling to you know, meet expectations. I can find myself having to fight for joy. So I've started doing a few things. One, I've got a couple of friends that I let know because it, for me, it's like I can look out over the horizon. I can see that northern storm just begin brewing, and I can see it coming. There's nothing in my power to stop it. So I've got a few friends, including my wife, that I can let them know, hey, I, I, feel, a, I feel a cloud, I feel a darkness coming. But then I need to remind myself of a few things that fear and shame and guilt, they died on the cross, and I need to leave them there. But I also need to remind myself that Jesus, no matter what is happening in my life, whether I'm succeeding or whether I'm failing, that he took my name to the cross and he bore my sins there. But then he marched my name out of the tomb and raised me to a newness of life. And there isn't anything in this world that can change that. So the Easter joy... Jesus talked about, he says, has arrived, and it is deeply personal. Yes, it is a cosmic event that we can never fully understand, but it comes intimately close and should reshape everything about our lives. The second thought about it is that God is in the process of clearing this world of all heartbreak. Therefore, Christ's resurrection not only gives us hope for a future, yes, there is a better day coming, but it gives you hope to handle the scars now. I mean, such a restoring and reviving joy was purchased for you and me in the resurrection of Christ. The third one is this. If Christ is still dead, if death then reigns, then all our joys are false, and they will never last. And if that is true, if he never came back to life, if he is still buried somewhere in a tomb, if he did not come back, you know what you need to do? You need to go gather every plastic egg you can find. Because whatever you find inside it is all the joy you have to hold on to. And that's it. But... But if Christ did rise back from the dead, if he was risen from the grave, if he actually did defeat death, brothers and sisters, then we need to celebrate for the love of God has broken into the darkness, offering us a life of joy in Christ that cannot fade or rust or be taken away. Because then Christ is alive. And if he is alive, we are promised that the dead in Christ will also rise again one day. You know what that means for us? It means that the grave for those in Christ is no longer a grave of sorrow or a place of sorrow. It's simply a passage into eternal life. There is no hope beyond the grave other than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But here's the truth about everyone that has ever lived. You and I and everyone before us and everyone after us You were created to live forever. That will take place. 
So hear me this morning, unless you are united with Jesus Christ, what I mean by that, unless you believe that He came and He died and He rose again on your behalf, you are headed to an eternity in the next world where all the dreadful influence of sin, it will finally be developed and discovered to their fullest and you will be cast away from the presence of God. And so we need to be pleading with people to believe and to trust in Christ. But here's the beauty of the truth this morning. That we live in a day and an age that says, you know what, you reap what you sow. Or you know what, you get what you earn. It's really all about karma. If you do enough good, then you'll be blessed. But the joy that Jesus talks about, the joy that comes to us through that tomb, is one that's not based on your performance. And I can't tell you how thankful I am for that. It's not based on how good you feel about yourself. It's not even based on how well you treat others. It is not even based on what good you have done. Because you and I could never do enough to earn this joy that Jesus is talking about. It's a joy that is offered to us that we are completely undeserving of. And that seems so different than everything else in our lives. And if we're not careful, we can crater under that. You and I don't deserve this joy. But because of Christ, He has earned it. And He turns around and He gives it freely. For the last few weeks, we have been focusing on one verse, that how that is made possible. How does God do that? How does God take and give us all these things that we don't deserve, and then He takes all the things that we do deserve? In 2 Corinthians 5.21, a verse that we've often referred to as the great exchange. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, meaning Jesus Christ, he left his place of heaven and he became a man. Because long before God said, if you disobey, if you turn from me, if you go your way, you know what? The punishment for that is death. But God being an eternal being, he could never die. So what does he do? He sends his son to take on humanity, to die in the place of sinners. So Jesus takes our sins as if they were His. And we saw Friday night that He became cursed. But then He turns around and it says, So, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And that is what we call eternity currency. That's what gets you into God's presence. So what happens is, is that Jesus Christ pays the price for your sins, and that gets you out of hell. But it's not enough to get you into the presence of a holy God. So what does he do? His son lives the life that you should have lived in perfect obedience to the Father. And he turns around and he gives it to you as if you've done everything he did. And you become the righteousness of God, the currency of the kingdom. And you can boldly go before the king. So Jesus dies the death that we should have died. And he lived the life that we should have lived. And the remarkable thing about it all is that he says that he endured the cross for joy. And then we read and he goes on to tell us, and you know what he says? That I did it for joy and I did it because I love you. So it's a joy that is grounded in an everlasting love. Jesus knew his disciples would struggle with this. 
He knew they were going to question everything. He knew they were going to experience joy. It would be taken away. They would struggle with sorrow. And so he wanted to make sure they were prepared. And he wanted to make sure that they did not forget that they were loved. Because when things go well, it's easy to feel loved. But when things turn and those storm clouds roll in, all of a sudden we can feel unloved. So here's how you know. Here's how you know you're loved in Christ. One, you know the love of Jesus for you by what it cost him. If he sacrifices his life for you, it assures you of a deeper love than if only he'd sacrificed a few bruises. So you know you can see Christ, the depth of the love for you by what it cost him. Second, you can know the depth of Jesus' love for you by how little you deserve it. You know, if you've been treated, if you treated Jesus well, if you obeyed him, if you followed him with your entire life, never disobeyed your parents, did everything with pure love and motivation in your heart, showed everyone respect, never got frustrated, and he died for you, you would be pretty earning. But if he dies for you, when you wanted nothing to do with him, When you shunned him, when you had a disdain for him, when you wanted to have nothing to do with the Son of God, and then he dies for you, the more undeserving you are, the more amazing and deep his love is for us. So we see the depth of Jesus' love by how undeserving we are. And the third one is that you you experience and you know the depth of Jesus' love for you by the greatness of the benefits that you get. You know what, if you're helped to maybe pass an exam, you'd feel a little loved. If you were helped to get a job, you would feel love in another way. If you are helped to escape an oppressive captivity and you're given freedom, you will feel loved another way. And if you are rescued from eternal torment and given a place in the presence of God with the fullness of joy and pleasures forever... You know a depth of love that surpasses all others. And so we see the depth of Christ's love for us by the greatness of what it brings us. The greatness of the benefits. And so today, delight in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Pray for it bigger in your life. Ask for more of it. And then get ready to treasure it for all eternity. Remind yourself that this resurrection is the only answer to sin and the problem of death. There isn't anything else you can bank your life on. Jesus' resurrection shouts out that hope is real. And that we can fully trust God then one day to resurrect us. You know, God's blessed us in this world with, with many joys. Play, recreation marriage, friends, children, work. You know, there's so many things that we get to enjoy in this world. But they are all to point us to a greater joy, one that is completely undeserved and one that can never be taken away. Because if he is still in the grave, man, we need to chase after what is ever in those legs, but that's all we're going to get. But if he is alive, if he has risen, then there is a resurrection joy that no circumstance and no one can ever take away. And I pray that you have 
that kind of joy. Let's pray. Father, today we have learned that the cross has no power. That it has been defeated by the resurrection of the power of life. That what people meant for harm and humiliation and disgrace, you took and you turned it to the most beautiful thing in the world. That upon that cross, you took our sins, you bore them through your Son. But then three days later, you marched our names out of that tomb to the newness of life. And so, Father, we do. We thank you for the joys in our life. I thank you for my wife. I thank you for this beautiful, wonderful church. I thank you for my children. I I thank you for talents you've given me. I thank you for things that you allow me to enjoy. But, Father, I pray that they would never replace that true joy, that they would never distract me from it, that they would only push me closer to a joy that nothing can take away, that there is no circumstance, there is no time, there is no event that can take the resurrection joy away from believers. So, Father, ground us in that. And it is in the name of your Son that is no longer in that grave. We believe He sits at your mighty right hand. And by the power of your Spirit that lives in us, we say amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.